Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I am your host, Brad Whipple, and joining me today on the show, this lovely Sunday in December, the week before Christmas, Sarah Haas. Sarah, welcome back. Surprised to see you here. You're never on the show, ever. I'm never on this show, especially when it comes to books. I hate reading. Me too. Readings for chumps. Joining us today to preview the High Republic, which launches in just a couple of weeks here. Two weeks? Three weeks? It's closing in. Joining us is Lipstick and Lightsabers, hi, Alex and Shannon. Hi. Welcome back to <laughs> Friends of the Force. It's been over a year and a half since you guys have been on the show. And last time you were here, we were talking about the sequel trilogy. And now we are not talking about the sequel trilogy. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, uh, let, let's not. Let's let's jump back in time. Yeah, let's go back, <laughs> back in time. <laughs> we're, we're, we're winding the clocks back to the uh, period of time set 200 years before the Phantom Menace. Yoda is in his prime. He's he's hitting up the bars with all of his Jedi friends. He's he doesn't have the cane yet. You know, he's really living his life as well as all of the other Jedi of the of the council. Uh, times are good in the High Republic. Everybody's living on the wonderful high of uh, balance and uh, unity. Things are going good. There's no galactic civil war, but disaster is about to strike very shortly. So before we get started and get into talking about what the High Republic era is and also discussing the samplers in kind of a light spoiler way, do you guys want to tell our listeners about Lipstick and Lightsabers? Yeah, so um, Alex and I started Lipstick and Lightsabers um, about almost two years ago. We're, get, we're getting yeah. close to that. Um, it started out as kind of a place for um, women Star Wars fans to share their stories. Um, ever since Tross came out, um, that's been a little bit, it's taken a little bit of a break from that, but we still really love to hear from people. Um, but Alex and I just really, really love Star Wars. We really love books. Um, we became friends because of our love of The Last Jedi. So we discuss Star Wars um, every other week. We talk about the books a lot. We just wrapped up our discussion of The Mandalorian, and we're really excited to uh, talk about some new stuff in the new year. And I make art for the podcast, too. Yes, um. Alex's art is beautiful. <laughs> Please go stare at it with your eyeballs. <laughs> Listen, I'm excited to see Alex's uh, art for like the High Republic. You know, you have a ton of new characters yeah, that you can start creating. I, so I really, I really need to get on drawing them. Yeah. Well, it should be an exciting time, I think. And that's why we brought you, you two on for this book discussion, because your fellow uh, readers like Sarah and I, and I think there's a, a pretty deep appreciation for publishing within like certain parts of the Star Wars community and I often think like publishing still getting overlooked in a lot of ways but I'm really excited for the High Republic because I think it'll bring in a lot of new people who just haven't thought about the books or cared and I feel like there's definitely going to be something for everybody Sarah do you think that's going to be the case with the High Republic yeah I mean I think that what we've read so far from these samplers has given us a couple different perspectives that I think are really interesting and have presented a couple of different um, points of view that uh, I think are going to be really interesting to explore. And I hope that it expands our view of the Jedi and expands our view of the world. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I hope that somebody, everybody finds something out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to just think about how far we've come again. It used to be called Project Luminous, and like for so long, we just didn't know what the heck that was. It was only ever shown at like the Comic Cons when they would pull, plug in their laptop during before the panel, 
and you'd see like a project luminous folder on their on their uh, desktop and you're like oh click on it <laughs> and they never would and you're just like damn it but now we're here we know everything pretty much that's coming out for the next next couple months but the high republic is described at least according to starwars.com as the sort of prime of the jedi order and it's a multi-platform publishing initiative with books comics and stories with new characters new worlds and new threats so I think this is going to be really exciting because it's just a whole new era of Star Wars. We're really getting away from the legacy characters, especially. I know Yoda is going to show up in the High Republic, but I'm cool with that because, you know, we we like a good Yoda every now and then. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what he's like as a youngster. But Sarah, did you want to kick us off with uh, what has been announced so far in the in the High Republic? Sure. So the High Republic officially kicks off um, on January 5th with Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule, uh, Test of Courage by Justina Ireland, which is a middle grade book, uh, The Great Jedi Rescue by Kevin Scott, and then on February 8th, I believe, Into the Dark uh, by Claudia Gray comes out, which is a YA novel. We've also got the High Republic comic line by Kevin Scott and the High Republic Adventures another comic line by Daniel Jose Older. So there's a lot right off the bat in these first couple of months. And then we know that in the summer, we're going to get even more books and things. We've also Mm -hmm. got The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott, which is going to be the next adult novel. We've got um, another Daniel Jose Older novel and another Justina Ireland novel. So there's a lot more coming, not just in January, February, March, but in the second half of the year as well. So there's going to be a yeah. lot of High Republic all throughout 2021. And I will believe beyond. I think they've been planning a lot of stuff for a long time and are very yeah. busy over, over there. Yeah, what? It's been like five years that they've been planning this. So it's not just kind of these like yeah. on a whim things. that They're like, oh, let's just do this. No, this is like some trilogy, Star Wars trilogy type planning where they're bringing in con- concept artists like Ian McKaig, who worked on the prequel trilogy. And we learned a lot of that in February at that event. Shannon and Alex, can you believe that event happened this year in February? Is that like hard to think about? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, that was so long ago. <laughs> I'm having like a crisis realizing that in this moment. I mean, I remember like Alex and I were there when at, they announced at celebration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we went to every book panel waiting for yeah. like, we're like we knew announcement was going to be like at one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a year, but I want to hear from both of you. What do you? think about just the high republic era and using this time period as the sort of next iteration of star wars storytelling and obviously now it's we know it's getting more of a a live action adaptation and we'll talk more about that in a minute but do you think this is sort of the right era that we should now be telling stories in does it feel right is there more potential in in here than maybe even going farther back or going forward from the sequel trilogy like why does this feel right yeah, I'm, I've been talking about a lot lately about how I feel like the universe has been so small lately. It's been feeling like everything is related. So I love that we're going 400 years back and it's going to be this like new sandbox to play in. So I think there's so much potential in bringing new characters, new stories where we're not hinging ourselves on the Skywalkers anymore. Yeah, I completely agree. I think going far back was definitely Mm -hmm. the way to go. I know a lot of people were a little bit worried because it is such a focus on like how great the Jedi are. But I also feel like, you know, that lends to, well, maybe they're not so great. 
And what really attracted me to this was the authors that they pulled, like, to start it off. Like, Justina Ireland, Claudia Gray, like, all, all I had to do was hear those names, and I was here for whatever they were going to do. But also, I just, you know, Kevin Scott, um, Daniel Jose Older, just, it's going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, and that's a really important distinction to make, too, because I think there has been some resentment towards you know how the sequel trilogies ended and you know that's not always put the the best taste in people's mouths when it comes to star wars content you know rightfully so that's totally fair but i think it's important to like separate out publishing from the rest of that stuff because it is really its own division of of stories and people writing these stories and uh, i don't for me they've never let me down i've i've gotten some of my favorite star wars moments from publishing and yes, hearing who was involved in it is like super, super exciting. But Sarah, what do you think about about the High Republic and going back and being able to tell fresh new stories? I think going back is good. And I initially was really excited about the idea of Project Luminous. Again, we were pretty much teased on that name alone without any other details other than the authors for nearly a whole year, which is crazy to think about. And you know, once it was announced, I was a little cynical, a little skeptical, because if you've listened to me talk about any brand new project that's been announced, I'm pretty much the same way about all of them, unless it's, you know, from my favorite people. And so I was excited to see that somebody like Claudia's name was there. Same, you know, same experience with Shannon. I will pick up anything she writes um, and read it. So uh, that was really comforting to me because I trust in her vision and I really like what she has to say and how she dives into characters. Um, And I definitely understand where people are uh, skeptical or not not thrilled that it's focusing on the Jedi. Uh, I get that. I'm also not like a huge fan of the Jedi, but I am interested in the stories that they have to tell. Um, And I think it's going to be interesting to see what is the same and what is different in the Jedi of the Republic and the Jedi of the High Republic. And if they fall into those failures, if they're already there. Um, and I mean, it is kind of what you take from it. So they can say, oh, the galaxy's at peace. The Jedi are amazing. And at the same time, you can read that and be like, that's messed up. So, you know, I don't think it's, it's everything in, in the copy that they're sending out to promote this. I think there's a lot more to, to dive into with regards to the Jedi and the time period, whether it's too far back or not far enough back or what have you. Right, because they also can't market the High Republic as like, oh, you're going to learn how bad the Jedi are and how dumb they are, <laughs> right? They kind of have to market it in a way that's like gets you excited, like, they are great. And then as you read each story, so on and so forth, you realize slowly, like, by reading these new experiences that like, oh, the Jedi are actually pretty crappy. And I feel like I already see that with some of the samplers, that these characters are not really the sort of straight-edge Jedi you would think. They're all very, like, they each have their own conflict with where their position is within the order and like what tasks that they're assigned and like what they're what's required of them so i already see those sort of seeds getting planted and like what better way to test the jedi and make them question their own ways of thinking than like this great disaster which i imagine is caused by the nile who is this new really like brutal savage marauders who you know Charles Soule says that the stuff of nightmares, they use chemical weapons, poison, anything that, that basically can kill you. And they just appear anywhere almost at will. So, and I think too, we're starting to see with the High Republic, the formation of like the Lost 20, 
because I get the impression that we haven't gotten those yet at the, at the start of The Great Disaster. And I think whatever happens with these first couple books is going to start delving into The Lost 20. And I feel like the High Republic era is going to be like this grand ironic story of like it is the highest time of the republic yet everybody's leaving <laughs> you know and that's where we're going to kind of end up shannon and alex do you kind of feel that that might be the case like we're kind of heading towards more of a storytelling initiative of like here are the lost 20 the jedi aren't so great and here's where we end up with the prequel trilogy and with the sort of like blinded and clouded jedi vision well i mean the brightest light casts the darkest shadow like, if this is supposed to be the highest high, then that stands to reason that you would also have, you know, the lowest lows here as well. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, from the samplers, the thing that really jumped out to me, especially in Claudia Gray's, was that the Jedi that are in that book are all very different and all have really, like, complex looks when it comes to what it's like to be in the Jedi Order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say all the authors that are involved in this project have always shown a lot of com complexity within their characters. So I, I definitely think there will be that complexity within the Jedi Order showing like that change from what like the general audience thinks the Jedi are into into like, oh, wait, maybe they're not so great. Yeah, I mean, Kevin wrote an entire book about Dooku and Dooku Jedi Lost. Dooku is one yeah. of the Lost 20, right? And Charles wrote about Kylo Ren, the rise of Kylo Ren, and Darth Vader, and then Claudia, Master and Apprentice, Qui-Gon, probably on his and way to I, becoming a Lost 20 member as well. I don't know if you guys have read um, Justina Ireland's YA novel, um, Dread Nation, but she writes very morally complicated yeah. characters. You don't really see that in her middle grade, um, but I'm really excited that she's finally going to write a YA for Star Wars because her main characters just, mm -hmm. she does it really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually super excited for her for her YA book. That's I think that's going to be a great opportunity to showcase some of her writing beyond the sort of middle grade stuff that she's been doing, and I'm I'm probably looking forward to that almost the most next year. But Sarah, what do you do you have any thoughts on where we're heading with these sort of rogue Jedi just based on what you've read in the samplers? I don't know. Um, I don't think I've put that as much thought into the last 20 specifically as you guys have. But I was really excited just a second ago when you guys were talking about it, because um, that is a very. Like troubled moment for the Jedi and the fact that like they have. I believe they have like statues or busts of the last 20 like in the archive clearly this is a very kind of monumental thing for them in a very weird like we have to memorialize like what we've done wrong um or, or how we lost them and so that's really interesting and I hope we get more of it uh I believe there was concept art of one of the people as like a young person this is very general. I'm so sorry. Oh, the concept art of one of the people as a young person, a character who's going to be featured in these that does become one of the last 20 because we know their name. Mm. Um, and I would not know how to look that up even <laughs> in order to find their <laughs> name. But I, I, I feel pretty certain that there was a piece of concept art that everybody was like, oh, no. Um, but one thing, again, I do love with Claudia Gray's sampler so far, and we'll get into it. Yeah, is the fact that you can already tell that there's some not quite riffs 
but just differences in philosophy already in the Jedi. And I don't think it's that the Jedi are are crappy necessarily, or or that they're, you know, just capital B bad, end of story, write them off, but just that they're really complicated. And Alex, you said that, you know, the general audience's perspective kind of shifting into this complicated uh, view. I, I, I do hope we get that because I do feel that the general audience and, and even fans who are, are really, really dedicated are often just see the Jedi as the heroes because that is what they grew up with. And I get it. Um, but I think that the complex view of the Jedi is the most exciting view of the Jedi. And so that's what I really hope we get because I think that's what's going to be able to tell the best stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Something I really, really like about the the High Republic too. So it, one of the biggest things is the Starlight Beacon, which I think is like one of the most fascinating things I've seen concept art wise. And it's just this orbital space station that looks like the Jedi Temple it has the, the giant tower. So it's supposed to kind of represent that balance and unity that if you align yourself with the Republic, you feel. But for others, it might be an example of like, you know, division and class and like, you know, yes, the core worlds are doing great, but the outer rim is sort of this unexplored territory that hyperspace lanes aren't really mapped out yet. And the Starlight Beacon is trying to be this sort of guiding light for people. And I think that's why it's titled Light of the Jedi. I think the Light of the Jedi is the Starlight Beacon. It's supposed to light the way for people who are traveling out or coming into the to the, the core worlds and the inner rim. But I really like this whole concept of of the wild, wild west frontier and like what that looks like, because this is really sort of uh, wild space way, way back then, because like wild space, as we know it in sort of the actual prequel trilogy, or original trilogy era is sort of more of like the Chiss ascendancy and like the unknown regions. But like it's really shrunk in this time period, like Alex and Shannon, do, what do you think about? This sort of uh, storytelling in terms of like, you know, the galaxy is very unexplored and that's also sort of the the biggest threat about the High Republic era is like you really don't know what's out there. And that's that's why it's so easy for darkness to to rise when the Jedi have waited so long to actually do something about it and get out there and see what's going on. Yeah, I definitely think um, the perspective of someone who potentially lives out in the middle of nowhere seeing this space station being put up is kind of like, well, that space station isn't really helping my planet directly. They're not really doing anything to help me. They're just putting up this beacon of hope. Like they, I, I think that there could be probably an opportunity to show a lot of division within the people out there feeling like core worlders are coming in and kind of like putting their ideals on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like since Alex and I were just talking about um, Mandalorian, there was a really great quote in chapter 15 where they were like, you know, Empire New Republic, it doesn't matter. Like you're all just invaders on their planet. You're just trying to rule them, impose your will on them. And actually, Brad, when you were talking about the Starlight Beacon, um, the thing that flashed in my head was basically colonization. Yeah. Um, Because just because they haven't mapped out the Outer Rim, like we know that there are tons of planets out here and tons of different cultures. Um, And so I could definitely see where the Jedi putting this up and the Jedi coming in to so, you know, bring civilization would definitely be perceived as a threat. It's pretty out of touch, (laughs) you know? It is. It's very out of touch. (laughs) Like, this will solve your guys' problems. Here, 
Here's a beacon. You can find your way here now. We'll just wait. <laughs> you, can, you can look at it in the sky. <laughs> yeah, it's like you live in that planet um, and you see that thing way out there. That's the Republic. And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, but what are they doing for me? I don't want to be part of the Republic. (laughs) So, you know, it's a star. I think it'll be really interesting to see if we do get a point of view um, from these systems and these uh, worlds that are now near the Starlight Beacon or are the intended audience of the Starlight Beacon and how, I don't know actually if we'll, because, you know, the great hyperspace disaster, everything goes to crap real quickly. But I do wonder if we'll end up (laughs) seeing what the intended purpose is of the starlight beacon and if they actually are able to like go about their mission or if the great hyperspace disaster which is bad um you know really mucks that up for them completely so it'll be interesting Mm -hmm. so i think we've talked about a lot of interesting things with the time period and i want to before we get into the samplers discuss the future of the high republic era so we're getting all these new stories we have this live event set for January 4th. We're going to get a bunch of new reveals. And I think Justina has already hinted in her newsletter. We're going to get her cover and title of her young adult book, which like, yes, awesome. I love that so much. I always love cover reveals. It makes me like just giddy inside. But one of the biggest things I thought was like the most surprising was the Acolyte. Leslie Headland's new series, which is going to be coming out in a couple years on, on Disney+. Plus. I did not expect this to be taking place during the High Republic, but it's described as a mystery thriller that will take us into uh, the galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic. So I didn't think Lucasfilm was going to be so bold as to like now make an entire TV show out of the High Republic. And I think what this brought, like what these books will ultimately do is kind of fill in all of that time leading up to the Acolyte and like showing us how these, these dark side powers throughout the galaxy did start to emerge whether from the nile and i think there is still like a larger enemy outside of the nile i think they're almost like a front for the sith that are still out there and and sort of because we know like you know plagueis is still around i think at this point in time i don't know if he's immortal or how old he is but we don't know but shannon and alex what did you think of the announcement of of the acolyte taking place during the high republic and how do you think that both publishing and then now television could sort of feed off of each other in an appropriate way and to sort of enrich the the storytelling of this of this era. We are very excited for the Acolyte. <laughs> I think that is the thing that Alex and I are the most excited about, um, especially when they were announcing all their new shows. We have been begging for like a night sister you know, dark side kind of thing. And this is exactly what we were wanting. Um, I think when it comes into like how it's going to tie in with the books, I, I, I'm not quite sure how they're going to present it to general audiences because, you know, they can't expect everybody who watches the show to be reading all of the High Republic material. So I'm really interested to see like how it's going to tie in with that. Like, will it be a kind of jumping off point? Will it be focusing on something else? Like, there's a lot of mystery around it, but overall, like, I'm, I'm very here for this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the end of the High Republic isn't that far off from the Phantom Menace, though. It's like a hundred years, um, I think. Yeah. What's Sarah's nodding? <laughs> no. It. So it's like fifty. This is this, fifty. Um, yeah. So we're recording this on Sunday. There was recently a tweet from Culture Crave who just tweeted, without any sources or anything, um, 
the High Republic ends 50 years before the Phantom Menace. And then it, you know, was like, you know, therefore the Alkali is as and they assumed, oh, it's going to be a Palpatine kind of show. And I was like, which is what we talked about as well when we yeah. were recording. But like, and it, it depends on how it's done. Um, yeah. It could be done well. Um, that would make sense for how you tie it into like the other things that they're doing, you know, since it's going to be more generalized on it, that would make sense. Um, he, I mean, we don't really know a lot about Palpatine. If it is still 50 years it, would he not be like a baby? Like, he could be like thirty, know. maybe, like in his twenties or thirties. But <laughs> I, I don't know I how don't old know. he maybe is. This is really old. But <laughs> what I wanted to get to was that I tweeted something. I was like, for what it's worth, we don't have a source on this tweet. They didn't link anything. And Florian from Jedi Bibliotech sent me a, a quote tweet to a video for the Chinese Star Wars novel that's coming out. And in that video, James Waugh. He is an executive at Lucasfilm, and he said, essentially, that this new novel for the, for the Chinese audiences ends around, or happened, takes place around the same time that the High Republic is ending about 50 years before, um, mm. or, you know, the Phantom Menace. So that is kind of where that source came from that I learned today, um, which I thought was very interesting. At, you know, how does that line up with the acolyte and the book and the publishing initiative in the U.S. in the English language. I don't know, but I did find that to be interesting, and I hope, I hope that the acolyte is not that because I was like, me and my 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 interest in the acolyte in the past, you know, two weeks or week and a half or how long, however long we've known it, has kind of steadily increased. It's the the idea of it's been like I've been sitting with it more. It's been feeling better to me. And then I saw that and I was like, oh, that's not, not right now. Like, God, guys, let's do. You know, I'm with Shannon, though. I mean, we, again, we don't really, we don't really know for sure. And like, if it's done well, then like, bravo, you know, if they can somehow integrate Palpatine's sort of rise to power and him setting the pieces into to motion. I don't think he'll be like the center of the show. But if you're doing a show about the rising dark side powers right before the Phantom Menace, it's like plausibly you would think we're going to learn a little bit about who the dark side uh, key players are at that time and we know like the series is going to be quote-unquote female centric which i just think means there's going to be it's going to center around a, a female protagonist which could be a, a night sister if it's like a sort of martial arts show which like that would be super cool honestly like i would i would love a night sister show but yeah that uh or even like mother Talzin in live action like could you imagine like the power that would have on screen that would just be so cool mm -hmm. uh and i'm sure we'll see yoda so there's just like a lot that it could do but i'm really intrigued by uh by the acolyte and i know leslie headland if you've watched russian doll like she just absolutely killed it with that series so i i have like full faith in in what she's doing and i, I don't think she'll um create something that she's not either believing in or uh not passionate about so i'm very excited so uh, we should move on to discuss the samplers. So we're going to sort of do light spoilers on these, but they're out there. You know, it's not like these are just based on review copies that we got or anything. You can go out and request these to read them. Uh, the Light of the Jedi samplers, eight chapters. It's just right on Penguin Random House's website. And I can include all the links for everything in the description. So like if you haven't read them and you want to come back, go read those first. 
come back and listen to the rest of this this episode or if you just don't really care and are waiting for a release date you can get our impressions of of what's been put out there so far and the the embargo's lifted so we're pretty much good to go to talk about everything and anything with these with these samplers so i'm very excited so we're going to start with the light of the jedi by charles soul this first eight chapters are just complete chaos so charles's book seems sort of like the more encyclopedic look at the high republic for what i've read through it so far it's great stuff but it feels more uh it feels less character driven so far and more uh, of a larger scope perspective on what the galaxy looks like. So I haven't really like gotten full into some of the characters yet. It's just like, you know, here's the great disaster. Here are these different planets that are involved. Here's what's going on and so sort of setting up what the galaxy looks like. And that's, that's about it so far. The great disaster is terrifying. It's basically, we don't really know what it is yet. We just know there's like tons and tons of objects hurling through hyperspace, blocking up all the lanes. And most of those objects are parts of a passenger ship called the Legacy Run, which is just full of people. So that's sort of the, uh, it's like the worst sort of trolley problem you could think of. You know, it's like, do I, do we steer the trolley towards the one person or everybody? Now it's like, do we, uh, now that the, the, the ship is heading towards a planet full of 4 billion people, and then the ship is also full of thousands of people. It's like, what do we do? So it's, it's, the stakes are, have never been higher. But Shannon, I want to start with you. What have, what have you thought of Light of the Jedi so far, kind of introducing us to the great disaster and also giving us more insight to Avar Chris, the Jedi master who uh, who sees the force as a song that sings to her and she sings back. So I actually wasn't able to read um, Light of the Jedi. Um, unfortunately, timing just kind of got away from me. But um, I was kind of looking into it. Alex gave me some information as well. And from what it sounds like, it, I agree. It does sound like it's going to be kind of the, the book with all of the information and not as much um, character stuff. Just, just the one that's going to kind of tell you, like, this is what's happening, um, which generally I'm not like super here for so my excitement for this book has definitely gone down a little bit but I am still intrigued because you know like I want to know what the great disaster is because I want to know like why you know why have we been plunged into this chaos mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's okay too because I think you do need some sort of book that establishes everything it is an entirely new era so I, I understand but I think really the meat and bones of for me, at least, initially at launch is going to be like Claudia's book and Justina's book. But Alex, what did you think of of Light of the Jedi so far? I thought that the uh, whole countdown thing was really interesting. Every chapter, it was like this many minutes until impact. And of course, like in that sample, we didn't actually get to the impact part yet. So I'm intrigued to see like what's actually going to happen mm -hmm. when there is the impact that takes place. I was taken out out of it a bit. Like Shannon said, there's so many characters. I was yeah. having a hard time, like, remembering what characters did what. Like, there is this amazing character who can kind of, like, almost force bond all the Jedi together. Um, and, yeah, it was a, it was a little confusing. Like, I, I, I like my books, like, very character-focused. And when I'm overwhelmed by the amount of characters, it, it takes me out of it. Yeah, there is a lot of, of new information to digest. I was, like, frantically highlighting everything i was like oh that's a new mm -hmm. person oh that's a new ship oh that's a new planet and i was like oh my god 
our episode for this is going to be like four hours long because we have to like cover everything and what's going on. But Sarah, how did you feel reading reading the sampler? So I thought it was really interesting. Um, it, the first eight chapters is about 50 pages. In those 50 pages, we are introduced to 10 brand new Jedi. <laughs> I am keeping a Google Doc because I, I, Alex had the same problem as you. I was like, oh gosh, there's so many. Um, what, what's going on? So I'm keeping them all, uh, hopefully, as straight and focused as I can. And the one who can force bond everybody is Avar Chris. She's the one that's kind mm-hmm. of sitting on the ship and um, meditating and attempting to um, be the, the ringleader of this operation in a force mythical sense and i think for me this makes sense uh that this this is charles's book um i have read one of his non-star wars novels um he's written two there's oracle year and anyone and i read anyone and that was quite a complicated book as well um and it was one that jumped back and forth the premise of this book is like you can implant consciousness into other bodies and you can like ju- you can rent time in other bodies and it's very weird. Um it, it's it's a po- fascinating concept but it's again very complicated and 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 a bit of like you have to really have all the info. So this tracks um for Charles's writing and I'm not saying that as a dig, you know, some of the other writers are really really um great with the character stuff and it makes sense that Charles is is doing this book that is a bit more uh, focused on the information and uh, the plot of it all and just like attempting to give you the the lowdown on what's going on in in at the same time the most general and the most detailed sense all mashed into one and um this great disaster is really devastating and the first two chapters essentially of this are you getting introduced to people that die um and <laughs> it's it's really dark and um I'm curious as well, Alex, to, to see what that countdown leads to. Uh, it doesn't happen for another like 100 pages, I think. So there's a lot of time in between because I was confused going back and, tweet bef- back and forth between, yeah, but there's like impacts happening now and things are hurtling through space. Yeah. And <laughs> is this not the worst of it? Uh, so it, it's, it's very interesting. It's a bit confusing, but I think as we are able to get further into the book, I think it'll iron itself out a little bit. Um, I I do want to say, um, just like as a reader in general, like one of the things I pay attention to a lot is like the first 50 pages, first like 100 pages of a book, because to me, that is kind of like the make it or break it moment. Like if it's overly complicated, if your world's not making sense, if there are too many characters, like that's when readers start to drop off. So the fact that 10 characters are introduced in the first 50 pages worries me when you said that I was like oh no so um yeah because that kind of that sounds like a hot mess to me yeah I I I definitely I definitely see what you're saying there and I think they're all part of this battle um that's going on against this system and so I think they're all being kind of put in this battle to to name them and mention them because some of these don't have much more than than a name um, you know, this Jedi was in this ship and connected to this part. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of part of it at this point. It doesn't And some feel... of them could die too. We this don't know is yet. Also true. You know. <laughs> um, but but um it doesn't feel like it's weighed down by these uh in this part of the book. Um I don't know. I don't know. I think that's de- I think that's definitely really 
fair. And it's, I think the momentum of the book pushes you forward um, Mm -hmm. into figuring out what this impact is and what the great disaster is. But I definitely also understand, especially if you're somebody who's really interested in like character, deep driven books, this one may be a little much at the at the outset. Yeah, it it does remind me like on a positive note, um, Crescent City by Sarah J. Moss. um, A lot of people either love or hate the beginning of that book because she's introducing and, you know, getting you familiar with a lot of things. And like the meats of the book doesn't start until like a couple of chapters in. Yeah. Um, So like I could see it being that kind of situation as well. So like it's definitely not something to write off. It's just something that like I look out for. <laughs> yeah. And like, to be fair too, I've only read the first eight chapters. I have the full copy with me. So I think I'm going to spend the rest of my Sunday getting more into it. So, and I know Charles, he was interviewed on starwars.com and he said the great disaster is the first third of the book. It's well over a hundred pages of material based on one event and how it affects a group of people in one particular system where it hits with the most impact. And that's the Hetzel system. Uh, I love the Hetzel system, by the way, there's like a moon, it's like fruity and fruity the fruity moon like whoa i love that i love that name (laughs) so it's a agricultural system that has three suns which means that there is a lot of light a lot of ability to plant and so there's pretzel prime which reminds me of pretzels which makes me very (laughs) happy um but there's also the fruited moon and the rooted moon and there's like a ton of different crops in season all the time Um, Four billion people live on the system. So it's a really fascinating place. And we are really, I mean, thrown into a moment of chaos for this place that is threatened to be destroyed. Wait, is that where Honesty Weft is from? Oh, my gosh. Give me two seconds. I'm going to cry. (laughs) Oh, because Honesty Weft, that's the character in uh, Justina's book? In A Test of Courage. Yeah. Yeah. They're um, ambassadors from a farming planet. So when you said that, I was like, oh, no. He's already like my son. <laughs> okay. Uh <laughs> I have to find this information out. Um <laughs> he's from Dolna. Okay. It's a it's a both a planet has humans and pantorans. Honestly, Wef's okay. a baby. You look like a baby boy. He is. He's yeah. a baby. He's only 12. Aww. Thank you Wikipedia <laughs> for the helpful hint. Um yeah. Um, protect honesty weft he has a a great name must protect yeah um, he's missing his metamorphosis he's really upset (laughs) but yeah i think the rest of the book could be really intriguing and i know like kevin scott's book is going to be a great follow-up to this it's going to mainly feature bell zetafar stellan Gios, and ty yorick which i love that there's a character named yorick in star wars now it feels very uh what hamlet right uh, if my high school days are are correct, but uh, I think, yeah, I do think Charles's book is mostly going to be a setup. But I think really, like once we get past the events of the Great Disaster, it could get into more character-driven storytelling, and I think that's what's kind of keeping me intrigued. I want to see what happens after that impact, and how do all of those Jedi deal with it? Does it start to create division, so on and so forth? But uh, I'm excited to meet Ember. Uh, we have to bring up Ember, like the space greyhound, who is just like literally on fire and she looks adorable and I'm very excited for space doggos. And also Buryaga Agaburi, <laughs> who is the Wookiee uh, Padawan, who is a Jedi. 
very, very excited about him. He has a good moment when they're all about to shoot down the projectiles and he realizes, wait, there are people on there. And he, I think he's the kind of person or Jedi who will sort of like take his time before he makes a decision and like really evaluate all the different things that could happen. So I'm very excited to maybe get a bit more with him because we haven't really had a Jedi Wookiee yet. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Any other thoughts on Light of the Jedi before we turn it over to uh, Justina? Or uh, Claudia, excuse me. I will say that I think it's very interesting that this book opens up with the sentence, all is well. (laughs) It's like, it's the best of times, it was the worst of times. It's like the inverse of Harry Potter. Like, Harry Potter ends with, like, all is well, and, like, things are great, you know? (laughs) Or, or, you know, the story ends here. But this one opens, like, everything's great unless like so so i i thought that was um a pretty hilarious way to open that because that phrase has meaning outside of star wars um and i you earlier brad you said that you think the light of the jedi um the meaning of that title was the starlight beacon and for me the meaning of that title is really the force and one thing that i did think um that jumped out in these first 50 pages is just the way that Avar Chris uses the force to connect um, all the Jedi so that they can have increased um, perceptions of one another and that she has this very rare ability to do this and also how the force speaks to her as a song um, and whenever the, whenever the force uh, and her are talked about it's always talked about as a melody as music um, mm-hmm. and I really love that and I really think that um, one, I want more of her. I think she's very, very interesting. And two, I think that it really gets into one of my favorite things about Star Wars, which is different interpretations of the Force uh, yeah. and how people perceive the Force differently and how different cultures um, perceive the Force differently. Um, so I'm really looking forward to a lot of that in these set of books that we're getting because they mentioned that uh, in an interview at one of the panels or comic cons or what have you at some point. So I'm really hoping we get a good bit of that because I think it will give us a more complex view of the Jedi and just be really interesting and exciting for readers who might connect with one um, or really uh, enjoy one point of view. I'm really hoping that Avar Chris becomes the first of the Lost 20. I have a theory that she will because she seems to really be looked up to as like the pinnacle jedi considering that she connects everybody but i think i think she's like the yoda of her time and i would not be surprised if she becomes one of the first to uh leave the jedi order which would be quite a quite a hit to their confidence but we will see she's very interesting for sure that thought hurts me and i need you to know (laughs) first 50 pages and i'm already like a super fan so um yes i hope not (laughs) so i want to talk next about claudia gray's into the dark First and foremost, Claudia, this is just Claudia Gray's world and we're living in it. Uh, Shannon, why don't you kick us off with Claudia Gray's Into the Dark? What's, what's she telling us in the story so far? She is telling us the story of these four Jedi um, who are traveling out to the Outer Rim, basically the middle of nowhere. Um, We are focused in on a Padawan who's about 17, 18, um, named Wreath. And he 
is a precious boy who just wants to sit in the library and read his books and doesn't want to go on an adventure because there are bugs and dirt and he just wants to be in Coruscant in the library. And his life is just not going great because they thought they were taking a nice fancy transport. Oh no, they're just with two random people don't even know who the Jedi are. Like I... I'm so in love with Wreath so much because he is like, Claudia literally made this character and she's like, how can I make him as uncomfortable as possible? And I love that. I love that she started from that. And I'm really excited to see specifically how he is going to grow and change over this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's I some great stuff. I just want to say, it's two people and Geode, the rock navigator. <laughs> the oh, rock yes. Navigator. I love that. Yes. <laughs> That is, uh, like, that is probably my favorite thing of all, like, I I don't even know. And I'm like, there's a rock. Yeah, okay, so for those of you who haven't read the sampler, there is Affy Hollow, who is the character that's featured on the cover of the book with Wreath. Then there's Leox Gyasi, who is the other co-pilot. Then there's just a rock. And the rock just sits there. Named Geode. Named Geode. And Wreath has many moments during the sampler where he's, like, talking to the rock by himself. And he's like, I really don't understand. And it's, like, funny how, like, no one really questions, like, are these people just crazy? No, they, like, actually kind of start to grow on the <laughs> oh, rock a Reith little bit. does. Yeah. Wreath definitely is, like, the only one who's like, what <laughs> is happening? But he still kind of is, like, having a conversation with them. He's like, I'm just crazy. I don't know what's happening. But they're like. I love um, this rock. It's so like, great. They're like, don't say that in front of him. Like. Yeah, he's very sensitive. <laughs> and everybody, and then kind of, Wreath kind of looks at him and is like, okay. I feel like Wreath is being socially puppeteered by everybody on that ship. It's, it's insane. Yeah. I think there's going to be some big payoff with Jihad. I'm, I'm very excited. Like, maybe he'll grow some arms and, like, start using a lightsaber or something. Who, who knows? Yeah. Maybe he's grievous. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that was a, a, a wonderful sight to behold. I, I was going to say, I think um, Claudia Gray's ability to write comedy is really, like, underestimated a lot of times. Yeah, I think, yeah, because um, there's plenty of that in, like, Lost Stars especially, mm-hmm. too, and Master and Apprentice. I love Claudia's writing style. Like, all the problems I have with Light of the Jedi where I feel detached from the characters, I don't feel that when I read Claudia's work. I feel, like, immediately pulled into all the characters. Like, I was reading the Into the Dark sample before Shannon, and I sent her, I'm like, this boy <laughs> loves going to the library, we he stand. loves reading, we stand. Like, he's a Virgo, okay? <laughs> he's a Virgo. Um, I love it. Like, and he's not good with the Force either. Like, yeah. he doesn't want to fight. He just wants to yeah. read his books. <laughs> I've never related to a character more. Yeah. He's my new favorite. He's like very studious. He wants to just stay in the library and his master's kind of like, why? You need to go on these missions. And he's like, of course. When I finally get pulled on a mission, I'm going to the middle of nowhere. I just, I just want to sit in the Jedi library, for God's sakes. But something I thought was really interesting with Wreath was he starts to really have these conversations with, with Affy about like who the Jedi are and like why they act the way they do in terms of like attachment. And I'm excited for Claudia to explore that concept because, again, she explored it with Master and Apprentice with Qui-Gon. And I think she's the right person to write this sort of story. And uh, I think he tells 
Afia at one point, we ground ourselves in spiritual existence and give up personal individual attachments in order to focus entirely on greater concerns. And then Afia goes, so no sex? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that was the first time I think that word's ever been said in Star Wars. And then Sarah and I fell down the, the Wikipedia rabbit hole to try to find out if there were other mentions of um, sex in Star Wars, but that was an interesting... Um, there were some interesting Django Fett's quote, f- quotes in there. It was really weird. But I, I thought this was really uh, interesting for them to talk about attachment and like Affy is sort of this uh, person to point out all of the flaws with the Jedi. And it's just like, why do you guys do that? So I'm excited to see like the remainder of the book, how they sort of bounce off each other and have these more nuanced conversations about like, but why do you follow the Jedi's creed? Like what, why is it so important that you give up attachments? And maybe that'll teach Wreath something since he's so doubtful already. Well, I think it's really interesting because um, Affy is a character that is like very unlike Wreath. Um, I think she's going to be a really great foil to him because mm-hmm. she's very blunt. Um, she tells it like it is. She's a lot more extroverted. Um, but she also has something to prove. Um, we find out that her mother um, is a pretty important person um, and she's faced with um, the possibility that she could be dead. Um, and she she really wants to like make her mother proud. She really wants to, you know, rise up. So... I think, you know, her personal struggles maybe could, like, have an impact on Wreath. I think that the way that they're going to come together has the potential to be something really interesting. And one thing that Claudia always does is she really knows how to do relationships well. Like, not necessarily, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like, shipping relationships or anything like that. But, like, her character's always are like very meaningful and like very meaningfully connected to each other so i'm really excited to see what's going to happen with their relationship Mm -hmm. yeah i think that this this book has presented the most interesting characters right off the bat like i'm really excited about avar chris and i think that she's really cool but i like everybody else here fell in love with wreath the moment when they like Claudia started describing him like there is a quote that's like he embraced his bookish ways he loved stories he loved histories he loved digging through the records he loved going to the archive and I was like in love oh my gosh (laughs) I was like I love him I would die for him um and then the other characters that get introduced as all being on this ship with Affy and the pilot and Geode um are also very interesting because there's Orla who's a Jedi who has decided to be a way seeker who, and sh- that means it's like a Jedi who operates independently on their own path with the Force and attempting to kind of figure out what their purpose is. They also find Master Komak, who's an academic and a folklorist. Oh my God, I never thought I would hear the word folklorist. Um, He's in a Swifty. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I mean, I studied history in college and I also love to read. So these characters are immediately my favorites. Um, and, um, like I, I had I once had a supervisor at an internship who was a folklorist and like fascinating work. Um, so I I loved it and I think it's gonna be really interesting because they all are on their own journeys. They're out of the mainstream of the Force and or what we know of the Jedi. And Wreath's whole thing, his whole question in the beginning is like, there have to be like. In order for the Jedi to function, there needs to be academics. Like, let me be the academic. Um, and and so I love that. And I know they're going to go on an adventure and do the the Force and the Jedi stuff and maybe what we typically know to, to, to be Star Wars. But I really hope we get some more of this 
really nerdy history book thing because it's so good and it fed my soul and <laughs> I really was so thrilled about it. And I think um, maybe Affy and, and Wreath teach each other something about, about their lives and, and um, the ways that they want to be different than what they know and the ways in which they are the same. I mean, I, I think Claudia, I was going to say all of Claudia's books do that with the main characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, that she wrote Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan's sort of this guy who likes to also study and, like, read prophecies and, like, follow the strict guidance of the council. And Wreath likes to do some of those things as well, but he also, like, has some doubts about, like, what they want him to do versus, like, what he wants to do. And I think that's going to sort of create the division with him and the council and also interacting with a character orla jereni who is an umbaran jedi and she's referred to as somebody who wants to be a quote way seeker this is somebody who wants to operate independently of the council she doesn't necessarily see eye to eye with them in terms of what her larger purpose is i think she can maybe teach wreath some things as well and i wonder if she's part of the lost 20 you know and like what i think she's kind of the early stages of like somebody who actually dissents from the council and doesn't necessarily want to follow their their rule i think that's kind of interesting well there, there's another relationship that's um like master and apprentice as well i can't remember the um fourth jedi's name but he was also an apprentice with wreath's master and he reminds me a lot of rail from that character mm, he, yes. he, he's a lot more um of like what you, like your typical um, Anakin type Jedi, like in the Clone Wars, I would say. Yeah. I think that the name of that other apprentice is Dez. Yes. Yes. Mm, yeah. Is that the one that yeah, like I, deals I, with some like trauma? There, I know there's one Jedi on the ship that's like sort of having flashbacks to it's an Cormac. event. Cormac. Yeah. Yeah. He's really yeah. interesting too. When. I was reading about the Wayfinder Jedi. I, I kind of thought of Ahsoka immediately. I mean, she she leaves the Order, but could there have been that choice to be, like, an independent Force user? Like, a Wayfinder for her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one other thing, too, to mention is uh, Wayseeker, Wayfinder, the Wayfinder in, yeah. in The Rise of Skywalker is the thing that or uh, the thing that allows Kylo Ren to travel hyperspace. Yeah. (laughs) So I just think that's interesting that like that's related to hyperspace travel. And we, I don't know, there's some interesting language uh, crossover there. And I wonder if that all gets explored at all. There is mention in the Charles Soul Vader run, um, which Alex has read. I've only read about half of it so far about Jedi that exist outside the order because um, the like, first part of that run is vader like hunting one down um so i definitely think that's an interesting practice that like if it's still i mean obviously it still exists in like the prequel time so it hasn't been explored and i would really love to learn more about that Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i think um i'm very excited to learn more of the ins and outs i hope we also see purgle at some point in the high republic if we're talking about a lot of hyperspace travel and uh, all this sort of stuff. It'd be kind of cool if the Purgle showed up. I'm just saying. All right. Well, I think with that, we'll turn it over to our last sampler here, which is Justina Ireland's Test of Courage. So, Alex, would you want to kick us off with this final sampler and what Justina's story is about? 
Yeah, so we, we get thrown into this new character, um, Vernestra. Is that how you say mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Um, and she is basically like the youngest Jedi. She takes her trials when she's 15 and she passes them on the first try. And and she kind of has this like rapport of being like, oh, she's not that special. Like no one really thinks she has anything special to bring to the table, but she um she's very independent and she is going on her first mission. Yeah, she's uh, as Justina has described her, she has this very real problem of like uh, a a Doogie Hauser problem where she's very good at her job but she's also very young. But doesn't mean people, you know, doesn't mean people aren't going to doubt your abilities uh, because of that. And I think she's going to face that. But uh, Justina thinks she's somebody who's ju- whose other people's judgments like won't bother her as much. But I wonder if that will change with the events of the Great Disaster. And she kind of has to step into a leadership role and also like babysit Sana Staros's like great, 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 great ancestor. <laughs> you know, so that's that's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting storyline for her. I really like already the dynamic between um, Avon Staros and Vernestra mm-hmm. because um, Vernestra to me seems like somebody who doesn't know how to be a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and Avon is definitely like she's very adventurous. She like she says, like, one day I'm going to be the greatest um, like inventor in the galaxy. And I think it's just really interesting that already like there is a little bit of tension between them because they don't they don't get along super well and it it really reminds me of like young girls in school like Vernestra is very like focused and like disciplined and she knows what she's doing and I think you know maybe she's kind of forgotten how to be a kid and I'm excited to see how their relationship along with Honesty Weft who is um, a lot younger than them like how that's going to kind of change her view maybe maybe it'll help her loosen up a little bit Mm -hmm. I think that's a a great point because that's not something I immediately picked out as like the direction of the of the book um I think I was just focusing on other details but I really love that and I think that you're totally right Shannon about um Vernestra as somebody who especially as a Jedi just has like missed out on on her being a kid and and getting to and getting to have a sense of freedom have a sense of um the word I'm not looking for is not like looseness but like just ability to to be herself in in a way that's not um, guarded and closed in a box um, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of what the Jedi are because they're saying, you know, no attachment, no feelings. It's about the force. Um, And what I thought was really interesting about the book, though, aside from the characters, was just that this seems to focus slightly more on the political aspects of the whole situation regarding the High Republic because uh, Avon Steros is the daughter of Senator Gira Steros. Um, who is one of like the most important people in the Senate at this time. And Vernestra's job uh, on this first mission that she's doing independently is to be a, like a bodyguard to protect uh, Avon uh, Steros. So I, I think that that's really interesting because we are getting a, a bit of a different side of um, not not exactly the Jedi thing, but also the politics thing, which is what I come to the Star Wars for. <laughs> um, I love the politics thing, dang it. Um, so so I, I, I hope that we get touches of that throughout the book, even if they go on a fantastical adventure. 
You said bodyguard, and my my brain went bodyguard senator AU. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe not for this. Yeah, maybe not for this. <laughs> link me though, like after yeah. after yeah, we record. We'll, we'll, we'll link we, you. We've we'll got link a good you. one. We've got a good one. Man, the High Republic fix on AO3 is gonna be uh, it's gonna be something. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, the Raffi shippers. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Claudia might even write her own, own fanfic. You never know. Yeah, Claudia, yeah. drop your, drop your uh, so. profile name, please. We'll, we won't tell anybody. <laughs> I thought uh, notably, too, about Justina's book is it's the only one that doesn't take place during the Great Disaster. It takes place after, it looks like, because I'm, I'm page 19, and Sarah, you noted this in, in your notes. Um, there's a quote that says, quote, because of the recent hyperspace disasters, we will be spending more time traveling by sublight until we get to a safe jump point mid-system. So it seems like this is taking place after the, the disaster has already happened, or maybe there's a bunch of smaller events that sort of precede it, and they don't realize those smaller events that people have been hearing about are actually going to lead to one giant one that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, so this is something I'm currently confused about. <laughs> um, I think I will figure it out as I actually get to read and finish all of these books, but... um. That I want to note that this is nineteen, page nineteen in the Net Galley sampler, uh, and not the book itself. But um, I thought that was really interesting because it it made me question if there were other smaller events. Because what, from what I understand, the the dedication of the Starlight Beacon happens, and like Avar Chris and those folks are at there. And then they were held there after that happened by some guy who was trying to give them a tour of something or other. And that's why they were able to come to the Hetzal system when they were, because they were in the area, whereas many other Jedi and other people who could have provided any sort of help were much further away from the system at this point. But in a test of courage, I believe, um, if I remember correctly, She's guarding Avon Steros on the steady wing as it's going to the dedication of the Starlight Beacon. So I'm not sure. I am yeah. not sure. <laughs> I think the timeline's a little confusing, especially because in the pages of Light of the Jedi that we've read, we haven't hit the impact. Like, so we don't know what the actual inciting incident is in that sense. Um, that is the Great Hyperspace Disaster. So I think we're getting pieces of it, and I hope that's fleshed out a little bit more. Uh, and yeah, Into the Dark, they're in hyperspace when things start to get a little crazy cray um, for them. So, so yeah, these are all happening at slightly different times, but at the same exact time. Yep. Too. Yeah, I kind of feel like they're all going to culminate to like this thing happening. Um, mm -hmm. I agree, though. Like I, I didn't really pick up on the timeline with the test of courage, um, but like in Into the Dark... Either it like happened or is like happening because they have to like exit hyperspace because there's all of a sudden all this debris and like they can't tell where it's coming from or what happened. Um, and from what you guys have said about um, Light of the Jedi, it sounds like there's smaller things kind of happening. So it could be some kind of like coordinated something. Yeah. Yeah. It seems... My question is, like, it's, a, it's a the chicken or the egg kind of a thing. Um, because the first chapter of um, Light of the Jedi is um, the legacy run 
it's like if you know Star Trek 2009 and it's like um, Kirk's dad, played by one of the Hemsworths, I think, um, who uh, has his ship, the Kelvin, and they're in there and then somebody comes out of the loop and then they're fighting. And then that's, you know, J- James C. Kirk is born the, uh, the whole time, but then the whole ship gets destroyed. It's essentially that um, in Star Wars. Uh, but I don't know whether the debris happens first or if the ship crash, like, like, did another ship crash and that's why there's debris? Or is the debris causing the legacy run to crash and then the legacy run are the projectiles for the head cell mm. system? Does the legacy run come first or is there another thing that happens before that? So, yeah, so- I'm just having lots of questions and thoughts and words about this because it's not totally clear yet, but I think it will be once we have the ability to create the whole thing. Yeah, and also to the Nile, right? We haven't really explored them in any of these stories yet. So to me, it kind of seems like they might have tried out something on a much smaller scale first to see, like, do the physics of this actually work? And maybe those are the smaller hyperspace disasters that are happening. So they're like, let's try it out. Oh, great. These are working. Okay, let's go for the big fish now. We're going to take down the Legacy Run, which is like a massive passenger ship with thousands and thousands of people. Right. Because you don't want to try that out first and like fail. And then all your plans are kind of thwarted. Right. So I'm interested to see how the Nile come into to play here. But I feel like they are like just absolutely savage brutes. And I'm kind of terrified of them, honestly. And uh, I'm excited I'm, to I'm explore them more. I'm hoping that they're not. I'm I'm kind of hoping that they're. I, I kind of have this feeling that they're going to be like the rebels, mm. but um, I mean, we haven't really gotten anything to say that. I just I I am kind of, I've kind of had this idea that like the Jedi in this are going to be like the Empire to the o- like the original trilogy. Um, that's just kind of like a thought. I'm not I'm not quite sure, but that would be really, really cool to explore. Yeah. And I do think there is something that would be nice to have characters part of the Nile who are conflicted. Uh, even and maybe if if the Nile aren't the good guys, quote unquote, and they are like purely bad, we do have to have some characters as part of that organization that are a bit morally conflicted. Um, because I think if you just have like bad guys for the sake of being bad guys, that's not like always the best story to be told. But I feel like I wouldn't put it past these authors to definitely have you think like who are the good guys. So I think that about wraps it up on the the samplers. So. Again, these titles will be out pretty soon. We're going to be covering them on Friends of the Force. I think Sarah and I are starting with Light of the Jedi about a week or two after release. So if you want to hear like our thoughts on the entire book overall and getting really into the nitty gritty of this, this new universe and kind of establishing yourself, I would definitely recommend checking that out. And I think also Shannon and Alex are doing some podcasting on that as well. So uh, there's going to be a lot of podcasts doing reviews and discussions on these books. And I think the more the merrier because this is some new times that we're going into. And I think uh, it's going to be hard to wrap our heads around it all. It's going to hit us like a great disaster for sure. So to close up shop here today, I wanted to look back before we look forward. So I think the last five years of publishing has kind of been one certain phase of, of Star Wars. And now we're entering this new phase. And I don't know if we're going to have many books that really take place outside of the High Republic. It really seems like that is the the big focus. There's, you know, there's probably going to be like, you know, from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi. And there might be some other smaller projects that happen that aren't. Mando and Thrawn. Oh, yeah, like. yeah. Mando and Thrawn. Yep. 
uh, and Alphabet Squadron Victory's price is coming out soon. So I'm I, curious. I think we'll continue to get books that are not. Yeah. Um, uh, that yeah, are not High I, Republic related. I think it's telling that Claudia wasn't announced for the second round of High Republic. Mm. Give us yeah. Lost Stars <laughs> 2, please. Yeah, <laughs> that or Satine and Obi-Wan, I'll take I want Satine and Obi-Wan. <laughs> but those are the only options. She hasn't announced anything for like yeah. other, like like regular YA or anything that yeah. she's been doing lately. She's just been like mm-hmm. adapting into manga. So, and, and like she's been doing that anyway and writing. So the fact that they didn't announce her, she's got to be doing something. Yeah. I wouldn't I be surprised. It. We were talking off off air before we started recording. Like I know Adam Christopher is doing the the Mandalorian book. I would not be surprised or shocked if they gave Claudia Gray an Obi Wan book as part of a, a supplementary material for the Obi Wan Kenobi series. That would be really cool, honestly. Like I would be, I would eat that up so quick. Like it would be amazing. But yeah, I mean Claudia Gray in the last five years has definitely. I think for me, been the like topest tier of Star Wars authors. Like, like she is able to really write character-driven stories, and I think for me, in the samplers, like into into the dark has been my favorite one so far, and that just is a testament to her skill as a writer and making you care about what you're reading. And I know a lot of us have had her stuff on our list, so we're gonna go through our top five each, uh, top five books that we have read in the last five years to sort of close out this era of Star Wars storytelling before we really take that next leap into a larger world. So I want to start with Alex with your number five. It's the solo novelization. It's very good. It's my favorite. It's my favorite novelization. It adds so much more to that story that I think was missing from the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's great. Mer Lafferty is a great writer. Solo is just a great book. Um, it's definitely Revenge of the Sith uh, novelization is probably my favorite, but it's technically not new canon, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Solo one, I read that last summer and it's incredible. Like if you were kind of iffy on Solo, I really recommend reading the novelization. And Shannon, it's not your number five, but it's your number four. So do you want to add your thoughts on, on Solo here as well? Yeah, like, I just, man, the solo novelization is so good. It, everything that I was, like, lacking or was, like, I thought was missing from Solo is in that novelization. She gives so many more perspectives. You get so much more L3. You get so much more Kira. There's so much more, like, emotion happening in that book. Like, it made me really, really love Solo. (laughs) Alex and I have talked about this as well. Sometimes it makes us like angry with solo because you read that book and then you watch the movie and you're like but why um (laughs) but like it just all of the solo tie-ins were so good but i feel like having mer lafferty do the solo novel like it just it completely surprised us uh chewbacca uses detangler in the shower like that alone is a detail (laughs) worth reading about so i just have to put that out there (laughs) i love i love uh, all the little added details so um, Shannon, what is your number five, though, speaking of which? Um, completely shocked. Um, my number five, and I mean that seriously, my number five is um, Master and Apprentice from Claudia Gray, which, I mean, we've sung her praises. I love Claudia Gray, but I, and I'm about to make so many people really angry because people get angry at me on YouTube when I say this. I don't like Qui-Gon Jinn um, at all. I, I cannot Damn. stand him. 
I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but reading this book definitely gave me a new perspective and a, and a newfound respect. And I loved like the time that she set it in. I loved the situations. Um, she introduces new characters like Pax and Rahara. Um, I have some issues kind of like with the end of that book, but I feel like the way it made me think about things and the fact that like I still think about some of the stuff that was mentioned in that book just says so much. And the fact that I wasn't expecting to like it, even though it was Claudia, like it just it really surprised me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a pleasant surprise that celebration too to get that awesome cover. And everybody yeah, was like speed reading every it. day and we didn't get it. We didn't oh. get it. It's tough. It's <laughs> yeah, so we tough. Tried every so single hard. Day. Listen, if, if for those of you listening and if you haven't been to like a celebration yet or even like Comic Cons, sometimes at New York Comic Con or San Diego, the Del Rey booth will usually always have fun samplers you can take or like an exclusive con edition cover. Like rush that booth the very first minute of the day that you get there because you're going to want to pick up those exclusives and um, sometimes you won't always get them. They're really hard to get, but like definitely worth it if you if you keep an eye out. So um, I, I think like the last day we were like one person away from the cut. Oh, gosh. Yeah. We were really close that last day. Oh, that's so frustrating. Also, my note is like, be nice to the Delray booth people. Yeah. They're lovely. Yeah. They're awesome. um, yeah. um, Tom puts up with me every time I show up at the Delray booth and just kind of <laughs> hang around there because I am like, this is where I feel the, the, the happiest at this convention. <laughs> um, so thank you, Tom. Yeah. Uh, Tom gave me um, the Alphabet Squadron paperback and I was very happy about that when we in New York Comic Con. Thank you, Tom. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think for me, Master and Apprentice is like, a really surprising novel as well not because i'm not a fan of, of qui-gon jinn but just because um i didn't for some reason i guess i didn't expect it to give it that it gave me like the depth that i i, I it was it was very complex it, i, I yeah, was very I was, shocked i was very i was very um I feel like it really complicated my opinion in a, in a positive way. Uh, and I really appreciated like the relationships that were deepened in that book. And Pax and Rahara are great. And if you haven't read Claudia's um, Constellation trilogy, I think it's the trilogy name. It's Defy the Stars, Defy the Worlds. Um, they were really reminded me good. of those characters. Yeah. And I also just really love that series. So mm -hmm. if you're like a YA sci-fi person that's like trying to find sci-fi, the Constellation series is where it's at. Listen, when Pax yeah. like picked up Rahara's gloves off the ground when she had like been captured or taken, I was like, how dare you hurt me in this way? <laughs> <laughs> like, where's their book? I ship them yes. so hard. Yes. <laughs> it's the Constellations trilogy. It, I mean, it is. yes. Go read <laughs> it. Okay. See, That's exactly no, what I've, it is. I've read it. Here's the thing. Um, don't listen to the audiobooks. If you decide to read them, don't listen to the audiobooks. Oh, my God. You're so right. <laughs> yeah. The Russian accents are really bad. <laughs> it's it's that. And then it's like his robot voice, but he's like, doesn't. <laughs> okay. No, we'll we'll have a conversation. You guys are talking about two different oh, things. Wait. Shannon, you're talking about the other one. No, you're right. I'm thinking about um, a thousand worlds, a thousand pieces, a thousand oh, pieces okay, of you. Okay. That's what yes. I'm thinking of. Never mind. Um, yeah, I, I rescind my statement. Just, just read the Claudia Gray books. <laughs> just Don't read worry everything. About the books. Not every audiobook is as awesome as the Star Wars audiobooks are. If it says Claudia Gray on it, purchase it. That's I think that's yeah. the uh, <laughs> the big message here because she's uh, yeah again she's fantastic. We have a heart meme. Uh, in here on our Google Doc with Claudia, and she deserves it, honestly. 
Sarah, what is your number? F- what is your number five uh, book for for Star Wars? My number five is The Legends of Luke Skywalker by Ken Liu. Mm. I was talking earlier about different interpretations of the Force, and this is where my love of that came from because there is a story here about the tide. And the tide is a complete, like a, a completely different other cultural interpretation of the force. And I live for it. It makes me happy. Um, the stories in this book are just so interesting because one thing I really love that The Last Jedi did was um, like the mythologizing of Luke Skywalker and talking about that, like in universe and how the, the kids, how Broom Boy and his friends. Um, saw Luke at the end of that movie and Luke's whole speech and is if you know if you uh strip away the way the myth and look at their deeds like the legacy of the Jedi is failure and um I think that all was a really interesting idea for to be present in that movie not only to be present but be center um and and at the forefront of some of the, the main lines of thinking in that movie and I think the book did a really wonderful job of um Making making Luke the myth, but also making um, some really silly stories, and mm-hmm. I think it did a, had a great balance of um, some real kind of hard hitting. That that middle story is amazing, but also that first story where it's like Darth Jar Jar, you know, and, and it's really silly and completely out there. I just really loved all the different stories we got in this book, yeah. and I would love more books like this one that are. A little bit different than myths and fables, um, which I think those are, are really interesting as well. But they're, they're a bit more abstract. I kind of like the very kind of, I'm not saying these are grounded because they're kind of fantastical. But like they are rooted in a particular person, in a particular event. And you can see how they got spun off into this thing or, or, um, or where they come from. Whereas you don't really know where like the myths and fables stories actually come from. Yeah. So more Legends of Luke Skywalker. I would love for Ken Liu to continue to write in the Star Wars universe because I think his work is really interesting. Hard agree, hard agree. My number five and also Alex's number four is Resistance Reborn by Rebecca Roanhorse. So for me, I have a lot of nostalgia with this book because it's very, very much a sequel to The Last Jedi and it's a Poe redemption story, which is great and fantastic. And also just a general love letter to Star Wars. It includes a lot of other canon inclusions uh, such as like Aura Marco and I won't ruin some of the other ones if you haven't read it but there is like really just so much so much cohesion with all of the other canon materials and like you know Rebecca did her homework for sure and so for me that's why it's in my top five because it it paid respect to both the movies and the larger world of publishing within one single book while giving us an incredible story. And I think that's why it's it's in my top five. Alex, what do you think on Resistance Reborn as your number four? I think Rebecca does one of the best jobs at understanding every single one of the sequel trilogy characters. She gets like sad, quiet Ray like very perfectly. Like Ray is very detached from everything. I guess following like the events of the Last Jedi, she's very reserved and she writes reserved ray really well she also writes leia post last jedi very well and her storm pilot is like so perfect the younger man like (laughs) yeah (laughs) um 
but yeah, like I, I, I love Storm Pilot, so I was glad to see that included in the yes. book, and then I was really let down. <laughs> yeah, by the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I, I feel like Resistance Reborn, and like we we've talked about this before, but like it it really like set these expectations for the rise of Skywalker, and then like one of the biggest feelings I got watching Rise of Skywalker, especially at the end, which I I won't like talk about because I don't want to spoil the book, but I I felt like. Like, what was the point of publishing this book? Yeah. (laughs) Except for that, like, I can have it and it's mine and it's great. But, like, the Rise of Skywalker just, like, she doesn't know her. (laughs) Unfortunately, the Rise of Skywalker makes it feel like fan fiction. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Resistance Reborn, like, if you haven't read that and maybe you're feeling a little a little down on the rise of skywalker i couldn't recommend it enough because it is truly like uh it's truly well thought out and well written and every character is in character and it's just it's all around a fantastic read you won't be able to put it down um it definitely made me feel better though uh reading it before i think that's why i'm so nostalgic for it because it's like right before i uh you know had some certain feelings but shannon we talked about your number four which is solo Sarah, I'm going to save your number four for later on because we all have our matching number ones being your number four. So we're going to, we're going and to keep that. And I just that. want to say, before we go there, there's no real reason why it's at my number four. It just kind of landed there. I love it so much. Uh-huh. That's okay. We'll talk sure. about it later. Sure. That's okay. Sure. sure. That's what they all say. <laughs> no, she hates listen, that book. Listen, you canceled me. I can cancel you. Yep. Fine. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So my number four, also Alex's number two is Dark Disciple by Chrissy Golden. This book, uh, I don't know why it took me almost four years to read this book. I read it for the first time last year and I could not put it down. It was incredible. And also it's Shannon's number three. Sorry, there's a little, we're doing a little table here. This book is like steamy as heck. It's a love story. It is uh, very surprising in certain aspects. Makes you feel a lot of different ways. But it's uh, it's a great read. It's like one of one of the best things that come out of of the uh, the new canon. And it was supposed to be a Clone Wars arc. Didn't end up getting turned into an animated you know, portion of the Clone Wars, but instead became a book. And I think there was some input, too, from uh, Katie Lucas as well. Uh, she she was originally supposed to write the scripts for those episodes, I believe. And yeah, she has a um, a forward in the book, yeah. which is already it like it set the tone it was so good yeah so this book if you haven't read it like i couldn't recommend i i'm surprised it wasn't higher on my list to be honest with you but it's it's truly incredible it follows asajj ventress and and quinlan voss and uh some surprise mentions as well in, in appearances but um shannon and alex with it being your your number three and two respectively what did you think of D- dark disciple dark disciple is just so good my my top three kind of interchanges a lot um dark disciple just did something for me that i was really looking for when i started reading star wars books and it just it was that complexity it it was showing you know like different sides of things and like i read this book without watching any of the clone wars and it still made perfect sense to me like i i feel like christy golden just did something so special and it like it breaks me every time but like in such a good way and i i honestly wish we'd we had more books like this yeah i i was gonna say you guys are all like 
Claudia Gray this, Claudia Gray that, but I think Chrissy Golden is as good as her, as Claudia Gray. Hands down, like yeah. I really wish she was still writing Star Wars because her books are so good. I think that Chrissy Golden doesn't get enough credit yeah. for her writing. Um, and like I, I have another Chrissy Golden coming up on my ranking, but um, she does such a great job at writing just like gray characters and like murky motivations and um she does such a good job with Asajj Ventress it's my it's my favorite Asajj canon like it is definitely my favorite version of her yeah um I I, I will say as well too because um we did a reread of Dark Disciple for Lipstick and Lightsabers and really recently really recently and right after that we read um the Clone Wars anthology and the Asajj story in that fits so perfectly with dark disciple mm-hmm. it was just like yeah like zoreta cordova was just like vibing it was so <laughs> yeah it fits so well zoreta is the next like big upcoming writer she is killed it this year by the way she's wrote so many books this year it's insane but we are going to talk more about her later on as well she's incredible i i would like to say shannon i really appreciate you saying that it's a book you picked up without watching the clone wars and feeling that you totally got through it and understood it because probably the main reason why i haven't read it yet you can cancel me now um is because i haven't watched most of the clone wars and feel like i would be missing something oh no it and i actually i literally have two copies of it i have an, an old arc of it and i have like the mass market paperback of it and like the only reason why I haven't watched it or read it is because I'm like, but what if I don't get it? Like, <laughs> listen, really I dumb. I still have not seen any episode with Quinlan Voss, which I think is for the best because I don't mm. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care. He's Michael B. Jordan. Okay, okay, <laughs> that's who he is. <laughs> that would be actually awesome. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of Chrissy Golden, so Alex, uh, you and Shannon have this this shared uh top five coming up as well so you want to kick it off with another another golden hit yeah inferno squad um this book came out with battlefront 2 um and i feel like no one ever talks about this book and it is a pain train it is so tragic (laughs) (laughs) but um star wars is tragedy and it there i I mean i don't want to say like meaningful tragedy but it has a lot more meaning than some some other choices they've made. Yeah. <laughs> um, Iden Versio is an amazing protagonist, and I highly recommend the audiobook because, um, yeah, Janina um, reads the audiobook and she does a really great job. Yeah, yeah this book, like, uh, again, it was a book that I wasn't expecting to like because, you know, it was, I just knew that it was a Battlefront tie in, so I was like, ah, kind of whatever. And it just completely blew me away. This book is about the characters this is about an imperial cell that is like infiltrating you know um the dreamers which is kind of like an offshoot of saw Gerrera and his partisans so like everything is very morally yeah. gray here you don't mm-hmm. know who the good guys and bad guys are and like i cry like every time i finish this book because it is just <laughs> so good and she just does that complexity so well like this mm-hmm. this had to be like rogue one era like it just oh yeah so good i would yeah i would call it a rogue one tie-in also yeah mm-hmm. yeah i really think that Aiden being at the the center of it like Aiden is such an excellent character i 
love her to the ends of the earth. And um, I think it's really interesting, like with her dad and then with the with the squad, um, Dell, the video game, you know, what happens there. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. And I think I think she did a good job. Well, like not only like with her her dad, but like the relationship with her mom and like learning about like what it's like to grow up in the empire. Like just uh yes. Yes. The the lies that she had to tell. Oh gosh, the undercover. Just, I need to reread this book. The ball, there's there's a ball, there's, there's a yeah, dress up. Yeah, like, they do fancy dress. There are ships. Like, I... This something book has for it all. everyone. Yes. Listen, I just, it all. I just want to put this into the universe. If uh, if Mando and uh, just shows in general are going full on with these cameos, can we please, for the love of God, get Janina Gavankar into a Star Wars TV show playing Aiden Versio? Whether yeah, it's please. during the Cassian Andor series, I mean, just think, just think about it, Lucasfilm. I mean, like That'd Mando be time would be perfect because she is with the Rebellion at that point and she yeah. fought in the Battle of Jakku. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there is an excellent opportunity to, and again, her character in the Battlefront video game was literally CGI'd off of, of her using motion capture. So there's absolutely no uh, disparity or con- continuity error that would happen there. It's just incredible. It needs to happen. And another tie-in, um, her daughter is in Resistance Reborn. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Those are uh, two. Again, all these top fives are top fives for a reason. Read all of them because they're great. They're great. They're awesome. <laughs> Shannon, your number three was Dark Disciple, which we've discussed. So Sarah, what is your number three? My number three is um, Claudia Gray. No surprises. Here with Leia, Princess of Alderaan. And I thought a bunch about what I wanted this top five to look like and, you know, what to have on it, what to not have on it. And I went back and I really thought about Leia, Princess of Alderaan. And if there's one thing that sticks out to me more than anything else um, in the book, it is the final line of the book, which crushes me into a million pieces. And I won't say it if you haven't read it. I highly recommend it if you need to cry because it hurts. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I think it's once again like an excellent interpretation of Leia from Claudia Gray. Um, and I really loved the fact that we were on Alderaan. We get a bit of um, Last Jedi tie-ins with Holdo, with Crate. Um, you know, Leia is just a young girl who is going through these trials that she needs to go through in order to be um, kind of like anointed as like the next queen of Alderaan kind of a deal. You learn so much about Breha. Bail is there. And if you know me, I love Bail Organa. Uh, so this book is an all around winner for me. And again, it's really that end line that just solidifies the whole book as something really special. And um reminds you of of the tragedy that ensues uh in the nicest way um but yeah again wonderful work by claudia gray this one for me i totally have to reread soon because i've been thinking about it and um i just it's sad it's good i love it <laughs> so for my number three i'm gonna save that last because sarah it's your number one so i'm gonna let you take that that one over alex's is uh number two is dark disciple Shannon's number two is Inferno Squadron. So we've already covered those. My number two for Sarah and I, we share, we stan. It is uh, the incredible 
Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed. It is uh, the first time I th- realized I could actually care about uh, pilots in Star Wars, because <laughs> I think heading into the book, I was one initially like, why is it called Alphabet Squadron? That seems really silly. And I was like, is it like Alphabet Soup? Like, what's going on? And you come to realize that Alphabet Squadron is really this sort of mismatched group of people who, you know, they have the X-Wing, the B-Wing, the Y-Wing, the U-Wing. And that's why it's it's kind of dubbed that jokingly by the other pilots in the Rebellion, uh, the new Rebellion, you know, post-Empire world. But I think what this this series and, and this first one specifically that I'm talking about, it, it does well as it paints all these new characters that are have such rich histories. and. It's like, how do you kind of bring them together to form a team of people that are going to fight for each other when, like, you know, it, it, when the stakes are higher than, than ever before? But Sarah, what did you think of Alphabet Squadron? Like, why? I mean, you and I, like, shout from the rooftops about this, this book all the time. Yes, um, I love this book so much. Uh, what I think Alexander Freed does so well about this book is that he leaves no, no detail. Um, to, to the side. Uh, and he really builds a world that is, is fully realized, fully immersive, and his characters are just so excellently rich and wonderful. And um, I think Alphabet Squadron, and, and I put Alphabet Squadron over Shadowfall just because um, I devoured Alphabet Squadron. I was like, I had a two-hour commute to work on the train the summer that this came out, and I read it to and from the train in like five days. Um, and it was just so wonderful to really understand these characters, see how they tick, um, and see them all come together despite all of their many differences. And I can't believe we're getting a third novel in the spring. I'm going to cry so much. Um, but I really, really love the rich world and the rich characters that Freed uh, brought to the table yeah. with. The characters of Alpha Squadron. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for Victory's Price and uh, Will Lark is baby. That's all I'll, I'll leave it at. Sarah, did you want to talk about your number, your number one? And then Alex, uh, Shannon, and I are going to talk about the true number one right after that. But uh, you can kick us off. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Yeah. You. <laughs> uh, so my number one is the only one that is different than everybody else's <laughs> number one. Um, and it is Bloodline by Claudia Gray. Now, I probably am a little partial to this book because it is the first canon book I ever read. And it's political, and it's Leia, and it's so exciting. It's so good. But what I love about this book is, um, yes, the political nature of it. It takes place six years before um, The Force Awakens. So we're in the New Republic kind of a time. Um, Things are kind of up and running again uh, to a degree, and things are working. Uh, they're on Hosnian Prime is where the Senate is located right now, or as of this book. Uh, and there's two factions. There's the centrists and um, the populists, I believe. And um, they have a different idea of whether government should be central or government should be, um, you know, every kind of planet rules their own space. And what is so great about this book is Leia and Ransom. Ransom Castrofo is just a, such an interesting character as a guy who has memorabilia from the Empire um, all throughout his office. And you really have a, 
a question when you see him like, oh, this is really jarring and this is probably like exceptionally traumatic for Leia as somebody who lived this experience and and saw it as like saw it up, up front, her whole home world destroyed by the people who owned all of the helmets and weapons and things that she has. And their relationship and how it progresses through the book and where it ends for for Ransom and for Leia is so shocking and exciting and it has me begging for more. Again, Resistance Reborn, shout out um, for bringing back Ransom in, in some way there. And um, it, I don't know, guys. Bloodline is really just it for me. It is, it is just so awesome and sad and good and exciting and adventurous and everything I want, and political, and everything I want a Star Wars novel to be in that way. So um, I, don't, I just don't know why you guys don't all have Bloodline as your number one. I will say maybe I'm the only one that's right here. I, I will say, Sarah, um, it's funny that you said like this was the first new canon book that you read because it was also my first new canon book. Um, but here was the thing: I was a brand new fan. Um, mm. Like I came in with um, the Force Awakens, so I, I didn't know a whole lot, and I actually um, DNF'd this book because I couldn't get through it. Um, and then I read a couple of others. I started like watching more movies. I, I had seen a little bit more of the animated series and I revisited it and mm -hmm. it ended up being one of my favorites. I almost put it as my number five. Um, but then I remembered Master and Apprentice um, because I agree it, it brought in that complexity that I'm always looking for. Um, but I, I definitely think I... I wasn't prepared for it with being such a new fan. I had to kind of do some other stuff before I could really get into it. I think that's I think that's definitely fair. It's it's definitely a book that in in some degrees like relies on knowledge of uh the political systems of of old and and how they've adapted uh into this one. And I will say, who did the napkin bobbing? <sighs> who did it? Yes. Who did but it? But Ben Solo wrote on the napkin. Yeah. Yes. Yes, <laughs> that this is canon. I don't care. It was he warned Leia. <laughs> anyway, it's so great, and there's so much intrigue there. So I, I I'm glad you ended up coming back to it and really enjoyed it because yeah. um, I love that Ryan was um involved in Bloodline. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. What happened there though? Like what changed? <laughs> but also, I I think that makes sense for me. Uh, uh, because I. Th I think for me, the one thing that I really wish we had more of in The Force Awakens was more of the political aspect. They destroy the whole Hosnian system, but you're like, it's like, but, yeah, the, but what am I supposed mean? to feel something? Yeah. Yeah, but like, like, yeah, okay, you destroyed the political center, but like, you haven't told me anything about it that makes it important uh, to this story. So I, I'm, I was so excited to see all of that fleshed out um, in the book to get more Corsella and everything, everything. Um, yeah, you guys, Alex and Shannon see Solo as your version of Solo. I'm like, yeah, Bloodline is like my Force Awakens pre Force Awakens. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing in, in a weird way. All right, so even though we don't share Bloodline as our number one, we do share another Claudia Gray hit uh, for Shannon, Alex, and I. So, Shannon, what is our number one? So, our number one is Lost Stars. And the way I said, like, with Bloodline, I felt like I really needed to, like, learn more. Um, Lost Stars was the first new canon book that I was able to really latch onto. I felt like it was so perfect for somebody who was so new. 
Um, so like I could read this book and like I still understood everything that happened because yeah. while it takes place like alongside the original trilogy, like you don't have to know the ins and outs of anything. Like you, you just kind of know like the basic structure of Star Wars and I think you're good. And it just to have this focus on like these two kids who grow up and like naturally in this time of the empire, like you're going to grow up and like be part of the empire and then to see how they react differently to Alderaan and to the Death Star and it like brings them apart and they're never on the same page but they're still such great friends and they still love each other like the way Claudia Gray was able to do the emotions in this the way she was able to like build up this relationship with Sienna and Thane just it's so perfectly well done I've read this book so many times because it there's just something in it every time and every time I get to the end like I keep expecting you know like something to be different in it not to end on the note that it does but it just I, I feel like this one just for me was like I'm gonna really love Star Wars because I really loved this book mm -hmm. yeah it has romance it has integrations of all different time periods throughout it so I think it's like one of the books that spans the longest period of time but that's what makes it like so intriguing is because it is like sort of this larger look at how the galaxy has evolved but through the eyes of two people who have always been on opposite sides and that's what i think is like the most intriguing we don't have enough love stories in star wars like in the publishing world um i i always support like more of these and i hope claudia does some sort of follow-up to this book because there is definitely a, a potential there i i think she will revisit it eventually especially now that the sequel trilogy is over but i would i would be curious to see like where that would take place but alex what do you think of lost stars I think it's it's one of the easiest reads I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Like it just um it's like over 500 400 pages but yeah, it, she like thick. it goes by so it goes by so fast. It's um the characters are perfect. She is able to integrate like every trope into the original trilogy timeline which is like yes, this is what like I'm signing on for. Um I did not read it until I want to say like before The Last Jedi. So I like I wasn't reading Star Wars books until probably like the fall before. And this just sucked me in. Mm -hmm. It's it is such an easy book to read. And it's mm -hmm. in it because everybody more or less kind of has an idea of, you know, where the original trilogy goes. And so it's a really easy time period to like slot that story into, which makes it so digestible and enjoyable because you kind of know what's happening on the other side you know not this story but the the mechanics of what's happening and um this so if bloodline was the book i read first lost stars was the book i read second uh and i loved it so much as well and i really think the ending is claudia gray in these endings gosh yeah she really knows how to twist that knife <laughs> rude um <laughs> but like the ending of this book as well and and just seeing where like Thane and Sienna start and where they end and how they end and like what they feel for one another yet their commitment to the duty like the sense of duty that they feel to their allegiance and it's a killer it's so good I I do want to say too um in my opinion Star Wars YA tends to lean um more low YA like more um like the 14 and below side whereas mm -hmm. I feel like Lost Stars is like a true 
YA novel when it comes to the tropes, when it comes to the emotional complexities, when it comes to like the type of story she's trying to tell. I feel like like Lost Stars just nails it. Every time I hear YA from Star Wars, I'm always like, well, it's not going to be Lost Stars. It's it's going to be like aged down. Um, but already like from her sample with Into the Dark, I think it's going to be more of a Lost Stars type of feeling, which I'm excited mm-hmm. that we're going to see again. I have to definitely agree. Um, I work at a bookstore and one of the, we have Poe Dameron Freefall shelved in middle grade. It, um, it is. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's very interesting because a lot of the books from Disney publishing that have come out for the YA audience definitely skew on that, that younger end of YA. No problem with that. When they like, Star Wars has readers there. Uh, but I think the upper YA is the section that kind of gets missed when it comes to Star Wars readers. Because I, I do think there are teens yeah. and I do think there is an audience for, um, you know, upper teens uh, mm-hmm. to read these slightly grittier Star Wars novels or something that's a little bit more complex in the characters that's not quite Thrawn, you know, in the density of something like a Thrawn. Yeah. Well, you know, has. like, you know, we read ya and like yeah women it's a very like women dominated um section and like i have Mm -hmm. i have a lot of opinions when it comes to how um star wars classifies a lot of their genres um i think they could take advantage of some like new adults especially yeah Mm -hmm. i was gonna say we're lacking on the new adult and you pointed out sa chakraborty should write for star wars and she is like a great new adult writer Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. she could do amazing with that well they they got um S.A. Chakraborty who is a new adult writer but then they also got Kirsten White who she's Mm -hmm. YA but I would say she skews more um, new adult so like if they could write more Star Wars stories like that's what I feel like publishing is missing it's missing that age group it's missing that like emotional connection and part of me does wonder if it's because it is a largely like women dominated genre and Star Wars so often does kind of shy away from that or you know we get books um like Queen Shadow and it ages it down a little bit um but I just think there's a huge market there if they decide to go for it yeah and it's really interesting um I've been working at a bookstore for the past couple of weeks now um and I've gotten to sell Star Wars books more than once actually but the books I've sold have been Thrawn books and it's parents trying to get their kids um or introducing oh, kids that's to a Thrawn. horrible place to start no. for a kid. Oh, God. yeah. So no, okay. Like I personally agree, and and I'm one of those people too. Like I'm in a Star Wars book Facebook page, and and people, I have seen more than once. Like, oh, my ten year old loves Thrawn. My ten year old boy loves Thrawn, and I'm like, is he really reading Thrawn? Like, is he reading? It has Thrawn? to be because of Rebels, or is he right? Just, is he just glazing over? Yeah, him? you know. Um, and I I don't mean that as a as a dig to the 10 year old's reading level but like I was an advanced reader as a kid you know and I was not reading Thrawn I wouldn't have I would have not understood it and so I do I do think they're missing perhaps one Thrawn for young audiences somebody write a Thrawn book for young audiences please so these kids can read a, a, a Poe Dameron free fall but it's Thrawn <laughs> but it's Thrawn. Thrawn free fall but it's Thrawn but um you know, somebody read that book, but yes, there's also that, you know, my, I'm get, trying to get my teen into Star Wars or my, my, you know, like freshman year high school kid into Star Wars. What do I, that's a guy, like, what do I start them with? Or that's a girl. And like, what do I start them with? And it's, it's kind of a, 
Like, well, what do they like? I can find you something that's maybe a little lower or a little higher than what you're looking for. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's a very interesting thing when you look at the grand scope of it, because uh, there are gaps and it is, it's not like a Star Wars problem as much as it is like a publishing thing. Um, if you just like peruse the shelves of the YA teen and YA section, it's all for girls or aimed at girls largely. Um, so there, there definitely are, are gaps there that I think, and I hope Star Wars fills. Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be a lot of uh, opportunity in the next couple of years to, again, you know, keep within the High Republic, but also explore outside of that and maybe explore new genres, because I think the, the more that we can continue to um, appeal to other audiences and write new types of stories, that's always just a richer, uh, like a richer environment for publishing. And I think publishing has been the strongest, most consistent source of new Star Wars content the last five years. And I think in the absence of, of any films until 2023 and really just TV shows, it's, I think it's sort of the, the most diverse fix of, of stories that we're going to get the next, uh, the next sort of time period. So I'm really excited to see what's ahead. And I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity. I hadn't thought of new adult fiction as a missing genre before, but that is an interesting point for sure. So we have a couple of honorable mentions as well that I'd like to quickly go through. So Alex, what is your honorable mention for Star Wars publishing? Um, I love all the solo tie-in novels, but uh, mine is Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older. Um, there's a lot of L3 in that one and young Lando, young Leia, like new, new parent Leia and Han with baby Ben. And there's <laughs> Peekpa, the, the hacker yes. genius um there's a lot of good in that book so mine is one of the rogue one tie-ins which also the rogue one tie-ins are really good um mm-hmm. one is a little hard to get through but um rebel rising by beth revis i just feel like this exploration of Jin's character was so well done um i wasn't expecting to love it as much as i did um, and I would also recommend checking out um, Beth Rebus's other writings because she is a YA author and she just the like her, she does like characters and like emotions really well. Um, she normally does contemporary, um, which allows for that kind of um, exploration. And I think when it comes to Jen or so, she just she really nailed it. My honorable mention is A Crash of Fate by Sarita Cordova. I ate this book up and I know it, it was I was so cynical about these um Batu tie-ins and um theme park tie-in material like I'm like that's ridiculous but then I read this book and I was like it's so soft and cute and I love it and um and I think um the characters are really lovely uh, Izzy and Jules and I really enjoyed their little adventure through Batu. So I want to see more from Zoraida. Um, Sarah, if, if you ever go to Batu, you're going to be like pointing at everything. In the yeah, book. we that's what Shannon and I did. excited for the tip yip because it hyped it up so much and it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I think that's the thing. I'm like, I have not been yet. So I'm, you know, I'm going to be very excited to go. I got did a card exchange. Somebody sent me like one of the coasters from Ogus Cantina. Uh, I literally started bawling. Like, I was Sarah, like, if you want, if you want more, they gave me a whole stack. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that for you. My honorable mention is Chuck Wendig's Empire's Ends. So for me, this was the first 
canon series that I had read as part of uh, Star Wars. I hadn't really been too much in the Star Wars books prior, and the first Aftermath book was definitely pretty weak for me in general. I don't, I won't harsh on it as much as like other people harp <laughs> on it, but you know, uh, <laughs> Life Debt was like a huge, stark improvement to the first book, and then like Empires then just really wrapped everything up super nicely integrated a lot of like Han Solo and Leia into it as well and just the Battle of Jakku as one of the the primary focuses but uh Chuck Wendig still to this day I think is like one of the biggest losses for Star Wars publishing and it's kind of just an unfortunate side effect of of certain things that happened and interactions online that led to that uh wrongfully so in my opinion but I I don't think he'll ever return to Star Wars publishing I would hope he does but I I still think there is a little bit of a burned bridge there but Empire's End was just a lot of fun. And of course, like Nora Wexley is one of the prime characters of this trilogy. Such a welcome addition to to Star Wars. And uh, again, re- appearing in Resistance Reborn as well is another great reason to read that book. She's just one of my favorites in the in the sequel trilogy era. She's a great pilot and a great mom, especially. And she's a mom in Star Wars that does not die. So uh, I guess spoilers, but if you want if you want a story without that happening, this is why you should read Empire's End and Resistance Reborn. So that family still has some tragedy, though. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, a little bit of a tragic uh, ending to that that family in the Rise of Skywalker, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, That's not yeah, acknowledged. I, I, um, <laughs> I don't want to spoil. Um, well, I guess I guess it's more of like a tross spoiler, but I was like, how dare Resistance Reborn? make me care about snap wexley and like you know wedge antilles and then murder him i was very mad about like in like a two second (laughs) blink and you miss snap wexley die moment i was was like how dare you make me care (laughs) and wedge is like i don't know who that guy is no you definitely do (laughs) that and then the poe dameron comic which which really also fleshes out snap and is is his wife's name Kare Kuhn? Is that is that the right oh, name? Yeah, the I don't know. the Poe the Poe comics. Alex read those. Yeah, I'm like I'm like now, he her husband is dead. Like, yeah, so so rude, so rude. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a rough patch there if you've read any of these books, and uh, it definitely is one of those things where you scratch your head and wish you know I wish they could have lived a little longer, but. You know, it's Star Wars is tragedy again. <laughs> That's unfortunate, but that about wraps it up, though, for our top five books of Star Wars publishing. And again, we kind of put those out there. If you haven't read any of these books yet, this is our list, our recommended list of books to read. And I think as we look forward to the High Republic, there is just a lot at stake. There's a lot of new territory to explore and new stories to write, and especially new authors to bring into the fold. I think. You know, we're not just going to stick with this core group of people. I think these are kind of the strongest writers to kick us off into the new era and then sort of branch out once we've established the world. So I'm very excited to see where this goes. But Shannon and Alex, you know, kind of your closing thoughts on as we head into the High Republic era and close out one phase of Star Wars storytelling. And also, you know, where can our listeners find you on online? Yeah, um, Alex and I are very excited to um, move into the High Republic. We will be covering that um, on Lipstick and Lightsabers as well. We are just 
big, huge book fans in general. Um, if you want to check out Lipstick and Lightsabers, um, we are most active on Twitter. Um, you can find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, um, but we're on Twitter at lip underscore lightsabers. Um, and then I am at I am at McCarter Shannon and Alex is at Alex Leonis. And please check out Alex's art. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you both for coming on the show. It was, uh, it was a pleasure having you back. It's been like, again, like over a year. So it was definitely long overdue. But Sarah, where can our listeners find you as usual as well? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, and Letterboxd at SCH221. Um, please be my friend on Goodreads. I love talking about books. <laughs> yes, Goodreads is a great platform. Everybody should have one. It's a great way to keep your reading challenges in check. And I never meet them year after year. I always fail. But maybe next year's will maybe not next year will be this different. Year? No. Oh, I was like I hit mine this year. <laughs> I had like fifty books. <laughs> Me too. And I only hit like thirty. I had a harder time this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I've been inside so much. It's like almost like, okay, yeah. I've only been reading books. I can't do it anymore. It's, I'm too weak. As for Friends of the Force, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also check us out on Patreon where we are talking about books as well right now. Sarah and I just released a Phantom Menace novelization discussion, which is a ton of fun. And thank you to our current patrons who support the show. Adam, Anna, Cheryl, Christina, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jessica, Heroes of the Galaxy, Levi, Marie Claire, Marvin, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, and T. A lot of names there, but a lot of great supporters. So thank you all for making this show possible. And that is it. This is our last episode of the year 2020. Hopefully 2021 will look a little more up and uh, up and ready and happy and joyful. And hopefully we can all meet each other at cons uh, sooner rather than later and enjoy all the things that we love in fandom in person. So fingers crossed, everybody. Hopefully we all are safe heading into the new year. Happy new year. Happy holidays. Hope you all enjoy your times with your, your family. Or maybe if it's just over Zoom, that's cool too. So. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you always.